And Rhino, he's not even an issue. I don't sweat Rhino. Rhino's got him set up on the rope right here. Once again, I am your host, Dan Rhino, brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com. It's been a while. So great to be back once again, hosting the most subpar program that people actually somehow listen to in the world of wrestling podcasting, that being the Rhino Wrestling Review. And we're going to cover a lot of bases today, and we're going to do so by... Opening up the Rhino Wrestling Review mailbag, you can always send us those emails, rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com. I respond to every single email we get, and then when the opportunity arises, we read your emails on the air. And we're going to cover a lot of bases, like I said, by doing a mailbag episode today. A potpourri of topics, if you will. And the first one comes from Pete in Pittsburgh. Got a little alliteration there. If you could have any wrestler to start a new company with, who would you choose and why? Wonderful question from Pete in Pittsburgh. And this is tough because you want to find somebody who checks all those boxes into what makes not only a pro wrestler, but here in 2020, a sports entertainer. You can't just go with somebody who's great in the ring. You really have to go with somebody who is great on the great in the ring and great on the mic. But you can't even limit it to that. You have to go with somebody who's great in the ring, who's great on the mic, and has a mass appeal. Because somebody who can cut great promos but can't do it without dropping expletives is probably not somebody that you're going to be able to build your company around. So somebody who can put on entertaining matches and cut great promos, but they cannot connect with a broader audience and expand on your promotion and help your promotion grow. If they are more of a hindrance to the growth of your promotion and they only cater to a small group of hardcore fans, that might be good. If you're running a smaller independent promotion and your goal is just to break even or maybe make a little money, but... If you were starting a company and you wanted this company to eventually grow year over year, you would need to pick somebody that can check all of those boxes. And so I have to eliminate people like Kenny Omega, who might be the best wrestler on the planet, but is not a very good promo and does not have that mass appeal, that cro- does not have that crossover appeal, does not have, and I'm not saying that you have to be able to star in a movie tomorrow to have crossover appeal. I'm saying the majority of people 
don't know who Kenny Omega is. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I think that also eliminates somebody like Moxley. Very good in the ring. A very good promo when you're not scripting everything out for him. However, I think because of his stature, I don't know if he's somebody that you would want to... He's a good a component to have for your company, but I don't know if he's somebody that you would want to start a company with, given how many miles that he has on the tires, given his look, which I don't think which I think appeals to the AEW audience and does very well in that arena. But I don't think if you were starting a company, that would be the person that you would want to be the face of and strap the rocket to. And as much as I'm down on WWE most of the time, AEW is the show I really look forward to the most each week. And we actually got an email about Ring of Honor later on which is has become the show that I look forward to the second most hell must have frozen over and pigs are flying because I can't believe that I'm looking forward to ring of honor every week but as much as I give the WWE crap I think that there are two names in the WWE that are 1A and 1B that I would want to start a company with and I think that was reflective of when our buddy Dougie Wrestling and our buddy Mike Killam, both of ProWrestling.com, when we did that mock draft a few weeks ago that a, a lot of you emailed me and said that you loved. So I really appreciate you guys branching out and, and listening to that as well and, and following along because we had a lot of fun doing that. But I think it's reflective in the picks that were made early on I believe the number one overall pick was Roman Reigns. And if you would have given me the same question a year ago, I probably wouldn't have said Roman Reigns. But I think Roman Reigns right now is showing what he can do when he's got that badass look, when he's not wearing the Thunder Vest. And if you don't know what a Thunder Vest is, go to Petco or PetSmart. They have these vests that dogs wear when it's a storm outside. And it's supposed to, like, be like kind of like a weighted blanket and put like gentle pressure on them almost like they're they're being comforted or being hugged and it looks a lot like the Roman Reigns vest that he wore for many years when he couldn't just step out everybody else in in that group stepped out of the shield spotlight look what Moxley's doing look what Rollins has done since then but Roman Reigns kept the same music for the longest time, he kept the same entrance coming in through the crowd. He kept the same gear. He did not change. Now, after us begging for it for years, Roman Reigns has stepped out. He took off the Thunder Vest. He's in amazing shape like he's always been. And now he can show that and also show off the, the new ink that he's got. I don't think he needs Paul Heyman, but I think Paul Heyman never hurts to have there and it's not even that Roman Reigns is, is going full heel like that we've asked him to he is a bad guy but he's got a reason to have the attitude that he does he's got a story behind the, the reason that he has the attitude that he does he's not saying that I hate the Usos because they're baby faces he's just saying that look I'm the leader and I you all need to get in line and if you get in line 
behind me, then we can do some great things and we can carry this family forward. He's got, that's the best kind of heel, is somebody that really believes that they are right. They believe that they're the good guy. And Roman believes that he's the good guy right now, even though he's doing a lot of heelish things and having a lot of he, uh, matches where he's being featured as the heel. He's doing the best work of his career right now. He is one of the few bright spots in the WWE right now that I can look at and say I genuinely enjoy watching them wrestle. I genuinely enjoy watching them build a program. I genuinely enjoy them cutting a promo. You're not going to have any suffering succotash with this Roman Reigns that we're getting right now. I think Roman Reigns, as he is right now, would be a wonderful person to start a promotion, to start a company with. And my 1B might surprise you a little bit, but it might not surprise you if you listen to our draft special, and that's Charlotte Flair. I think Charlotte Flair checks all the boxes. I honestly think she is the best women's wrestler of all time in ring-wise. I think she knows how to tell an amazing story. I think she is a next-breed level of athlete as far as female wrestlers go. I think that she cuts very good promos. Not as good as her dad, but who does? Let's be honest. I think she cuts very good promos. I think she's got movie star looks. I think that she is super personable. I think she has crossover appeal. And having your last name Flair doesn't hurt. Let's be honest there. I think that Charlotte Flair provided that she, she seems like she misses a lot of time and some of those things are not under her control and maybe they just want to keep her fresh but Charlotte Flair has proven that when she's in the game she's in the game 100% and she is a workhorse for the company I think if you gave me either Roman Reigns or Charlotte Flair to start a company with Pete in Pittsburgh I think that I could do no wrong I think it would take a WCW level of incompetence to mess up that. So give me Roman Reigns or Charlotte Flair to start my promotion with. Adana in Springfield, Illinois writes, what are your feelings on the slow burn that AEW is taking with Miro and are you okay with how they're using him so far? So first of all, Donna, thanks so much for listening to the show. Thanks so much for giving us a female listener. And I know we've got a few, but we always like to shout out the ladies who take the time to listen to subpar wrestling podcasts like this one, brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com, which is so weird because it is an an amazing website that hosts this subpar podcast. Maybe because if you put something like this show on the website, it makes everything else look even better. Like those girls who always like to have somebody who's less attractive hanging out in their posse so it makes them look even better but thank you donna for listening thank you for your email miro in aew coming in as the best man to kip sabian and basically presenting himself as the killer who loves video games which i guess is an extension of the real life miro who has become very prominent on Twitch over the last several months, especially during the pandemic. 
I don't like it. I don't like I don't like how they've presented Miro. I don't like that they've presented him and it looks like we'll finally get to see him wrestle in a one-on-one match on Dynamite on Dynamite this week. But I don't like the way they brought Miro in. I thought they they should have brought him in as a killer and he has shown backstage and in-ring and tag matches flashes of just beating people up. But the fact that they're making him into like this guy who just loves video games and he beats people up because they broke his his video game machine that he gave to Kip Sabian and that he's just really good friends with Kip Sabian and wants to make his wedding as good as possible I don't like it at all they're they are slow burning it so maybe it is something that a couple months from now I will look back and I will say yes I was wrong and if that happens I am more than willing to do that because I do it all the time just ask my wife I'm wrong all the time but I don't like the way they're, they're bringing in Miro I don't I, just, I want him to be a killer I want him to be a badass I don't want him to be uh, Kip Sabian's best man I don't want him to be a guy that you see him backstage and he's and he's always just playing video games. I want him to have a clear path to the main event picture. I want him to have some of these awesome potential matchups with some of the people that are on this this roster. And I'm just not seeing that right now. Maybe I'm too close to the forest to see the trees and maybe I can't see the end game that they have here. But the, the way they've brought him in is very underwhelming to me. And the, the fact that he was just brought in on a, on a random dynamite. He was brought in as the mystery best man to Kip Sabian. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit with what Miro should be. And maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Maybe Miro has, a, has an alternative idea to what he wants to be in AEW maybe he wants to be as far away from the Rusev character as possible maybe he wants to do this to show that he has more of a personality that he didn't get the show on WWE WWE TV but I don't like it I don't like it Donna so far my feelings on that I'm very underwhelmed I'm worried that this is going to be another and maybe I'm wrong on these other cases too but Brian Cage to me is being used very wrong I'm glad that he has a mouthpiece in Taz but having that FTW title that means nothing and just going around and jumping Darby Allen to help out other people in his crew that seems like really all that Brian Cage is doing right now he came in he won that battle royal where he grabbed that that big poker chip he lost that title opportunity that he had against John Moxley and then ever since then he's just kind of been the big dumb brute in Taz's group and I'm worried that they're going to do the same thing with Miro is that he they're just going to make him the big brute in Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford's group so I'm underwhelmed. I don't like it. I'm, I'm hoping that there is some kind of grand scheme that I'm not seeing. And I would love to be made wrong in the end. 
Uh, Frank the Tank emails, we found out this year that a lot of our favorite wrestlers are actually human garbage. Over the years, which wrestler hurt you the most finding out that they were a terrible person in real life? I think for me, growing up and being a, such a big fan of the Ultimate Warrior, and as a 10-year-old, being a big fan of the Ultimate Warrior, all you saw was the intensity, all you saw was the exuberance all you saw was the charisma all you saw was the face paint and the big baby face and i was such a big ultimate warrior fan as i was with with hulk hogan and and the hulk hogan thing getting caught on camera with the the racist language that that he dropped i'm not saying that i can forgive that but we've talked about it in the past that this guy was clinically depressed seemingly at the time and was going through an ugly divorce and was going through the situation with his son Nick and the and the unfortunate uh, incident that happened with the car wreck that killed one of one of his uh, Nick's friends and being in in a situation where you would be set up by somebody who you thought was one of your best friends to be videotaped and to have that tape leak. Not saying that I excuse the language that he used, but it seemed like when you are clinically depressed and you are in that low of a point in your life, a lot of times you are not yourself. So I, I'm not saying that I can forgive what, what Hulk Hogan said because that really hurt me personally having somebody like that who was a hero of mine growing up say those things but I think the things that the warrior has said over the years hurt me even more the homophobia the racist remarks just the the far leaning opinions of people certain groups of people being less than other groups of people. The warrior really broke my heart in that case because he seemed when I was younger that he was all about positivity. He was all about banding together as a group of, of his little warriors and, and fighting the, the darkness and fighting the bad guys and, and fighting the, the people that would try to keep you down. And maybe that message was in there, but it was just about other groups of people in the world. It wasn't about heel wrestlers like Ravishing Rick Rude or Andre the Giant. It was about other groups of people. But I think the Warrior one really hurt me the most. I think that is the one that I look back on and I think, man, I, I just wasted a lot of my years in, in my youth rooting for this guy who ended up just being a huge piece of shit. And I know that WWE has tried to change the narrative that year that they put him in the Hall of Fame. And, they, and then subsequently, when he passed away, they tried to treat him they, like he wasn't this big piece of shit that he really is and name a Warrior Award after him. You know, the Warrior Award really should be for the most homophobic, racist guy on the roster. And when you think about it, if it reflects who the man was in real life, the Ultimate Warrior was, was in Frank's words, human garbage and looking back on that I think that's the one that that really hurt me the most
So Hulk Hogan to a certain extent, but I think the Warrior even trumps that one. Maybe trumps is, is a bad <laughs> turn of phrase there. Uh, Mark the Mark writes, what is the best match you've ever seen live? I went to a, my first WrestleMania last year. I think the it wasn't maybe the best in-ring match. It was very good. It was it was the best match in the night, but I think Kofi Kingston winning that title from Daniel Bryan was a very good in-ring match, but I think just the the moment of seeing Kofi finally get his hands on that world title and finally grab that brass ring and finally crash right through that glass ceiling and just the story that led up to it was so good and I was when that match went on in the middle of the card I was really worried that oh Daniel Bryan's walking out with this title I thought that if and I said it at the time if Kofi doesn't open the card or close the card he's not winning that title and so when he won it was an extra little jolt for me because I was so surprised that it actually happened so that was a big moment to be in the stadium that day when that happened. But I'm going to have to go with the last AEW pay-per-view that we saw before the world ended, which was back in February, which was at Revolution in Chicago. Uh, I was there with my wife. I was there with Dougie Wrestling. I was there with Mrs. Wrestling, Mrs. E. Wrestling. Uh, Doug's wife and we had first of all we had just an amazing night it was an amazing pay-per-view but that tag match between Kenny Omega Hangman Page defending those AEW tag team titles against the Young Bucks was I think the best tag match I've ever seen in either live or otherwise but I would have to say that it had me on the edge of my seat. It had the near falls. It told a story, which I think the Young Bucks sometimes struggle with, telling a story in the ring. I think it's sometimes just high spot, high spot, high spot, just for the sake of showing you how athletic they are and what they can do. But this match told a story on so many levels. I kept thinking that Hangman's going to turn on Omega, and that's how they're going to lose. No, they're going to swerve us, and Omega's going to turn on Hangman, and that's how they're going to lose. No, it's going to be the Bucks and Omega are going to team up and cost Hangman the Hangman and, and Omega the title, but Omega's going to be okay with it because he hates Hangman so much. And I kept, every time I thought it was going to happen, it didn't. And the match just got more intense and more intense, and to the point where... The Young Bucks were taking this out on not only Hangman, who they've had issues with, but they were taking it out on Omega in a very personal manner and making it very down-to-earth and something that you could believe in. And you mix that in with, with the high spots, and you mix that in with that they gave them enough time to, to tell that story from beginning to end. And you mix that in with the fact that I was 100% convinced the Young Bucks were, were going to win those tag team titles. And they didn't. And Omega and Hangman came out victorious in that match. And even after the match, I was expecting there to be a big elite hug in the ring. And there wasn't. And there should... And that's the way it should be. There should be bad blood there. You just beat the hell out of each other 
for 30 minutes, you shouldn't just hug each other and say, oh, well, it was a great match. Maybe I'll get you next time. No, that adrenaline should be kicking in and there should be some some bad blood there. And then maybe a reluctant show of respect there at the end. And I thought that that was just so well told and the fact that I was so engrossed in the match, I didn't see anybody in the crowd messing around on their phones. Everybody was was engrossed in that match. And I think that is probably the best match that I've ever seen live. Hangman and Omega against the Bucks at AEW Revolution back in February. Thank you, Mark the Mark. You're a Hall of Famer. Always appreciate the emails. Next one's from another Hall of Famer, Steve in St. Louis. Uh, Steve is a guy who goes back with me all the way back to my KFNS days at 590 The Fan here in St. Louis when I was covering MMA before I was even covering pro wrestling. He was a fan of my written work there and then switched over to my written work with wrestling and then switched over to my written or to my podcast work, brief podcast career with Punch Drunk Radio and uh, on the MMA side, and then finally the Rhino Wrestling Review, and then finally the, the Rhino Wrestling Review brought to you by our friends at ProWrestling.com. So Steven St. Louis is a guy who has been with me and has been a fan of mine, and by as a result I've been a, a fan of his because he's been with me since the beginning. And Steve writes, I'm getting a little fed up with Jim Ross hating on a lot of the AEW talent when calling their matches. This past week, JR picking on Wardlow during his match with Hangman was just the latest example. If JR can't adapt to the current wrestling landscape, why is he even on the payroll? So, Steve, thank you for the great email. Here's the thing with JR. We, we joke a lot when we talk about JR and we hear some of the, the comments that he makes on AEW Dynamite and on the pay-per-views. And we say, JR doesn't like wrestling anymore. He just doesn't like, why is he even doing this if he doesn't like wrestling? And it's not that he doesn't like wrestling. He is very open. And I love that about JR. He is very open about the fact that when he sees something that he does not like, he is vocal about it. He is not in the WWE anymore where he has to toe the company line. He feels that at this point in his life, he is going to speak his mind. And I respect him for that. I don't always agree with him on that. I think sometimes, to Steve's point, he does kind of go a little over the line because your point as an announcer is to get the match over and to get the wrestlers over. And sometimes he takes shots. Sometimes he takes shots when wrestlers don't go for the pin after a big move. Sometimes he takes a shot, and it's something that I actually agree with, when... With the suicide dives, why are you risking your, your body for that move if you cannot pin... Nobody has ever pinned somebody with a suicide dive, to my knowledge. They don't roll them back in the ring and go for the pin. And even if they do, they don't get the pin. So why are you risking your body with these, these topes and these suicide dives if there is not really a payoff for it other than you looking cool? Because you got to get your shit in. I, I am old school in a lot of the things that JR says, and I'm in agreement with a lot of the things that JR says. I do think sometimes he needs to just turn down the knob a little bit, maybe from like an eight to like a six or like a 
you know, a 10 to a, a 5. Just need to just tone down your personal thoughts a little bit. And and I even hate saying that because you want your announcers to have the freedom to show their personality and to actually call the action like a football announcer would. If a football announcer sees a dumb play made by the other team, they call him out on it. But I think sometimes JR does just needs to tone it down a little bit. Just needs to take a step back and maybe don't call out these guys so much maybe call them out half as much (laughs) for some of the things that you see as reckless and some of the things that you see as not worthwhile or a risk not worth taking in a match and maybe you know just present it a different way don't present it like that's not what they did back in mid-south or that's not what they did in world-class championship wrestling, or that's not what they did in the Georgia territory. Don't present it like that, like I'm the angry old guy and this is not the wrestling that I grew up with. You know, present it in a way, I actually kind of liked what he did with Wardlow when he said, you're a 270-something pound man, why are you going to the top rope? Is the, is the juice really going to be worth the squeeze there? Even if you hit that move, is that going to make that move any l- less impactful than you doing something with both feet on the ground? And I kind of agree with that. I'm okay with him kind of calling Wardlow out in, in that instance because to me that makes a little bit of logical sense. That's not old school guys saying, well, you know, you're a big guy, you don't go to the top rope. I think that is looking at it from a sports perspective, which AEW said that we're going to, they were going to be, they were going to be more sport-like and it's actually ring of honor that's becoming more sport-like, but I digress. I think it's Jim Ross saying that you're a big guy, you're a powerful guy. You don't need to be going to the top rope because it's not really going to help you. The, the risk of you missing that high-impact move and Hangman turning it on you, which they did, so JR was right in the long run, that did happen. The risk is not, or the reward is not worth the risk. So I love having JR on TV. I love when Shivani is there with him because I think Shivani is having a little more fun with it and can kind of play off JR and say, yeah, yeah, Jim, I know what you're talking about and, and I kind of relate to you in certain aspects, but, and then Shivani is, is a little more tactful about it. And I think I like, I really like having him there to kind of balance JR out a little bit. So I think having JR on TV every week is awesome. I think it is a great coup for AEW to have JR there for at least the next couple of years. And I'm sure that he probably won't want to do it any longer than that. He might transition to an office role or an advisor role with AEW. Or he may just want to spend his remaining years just showing up and doing occasional appearances for AEW and watching Sooner football. But I love that that Jim Ross is on AEW TV. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't go so far as what Steve said and say that I'm fed up with him. I think that it just needs to tone it down just a little bit. And if you have a reason behind what you're saying, 
like he did with Wardlow that had a concise reason behind what he was saying, then it is absolutely okay because that makes the presentation more sports-like. But if you're just doing it to be crabby old man, probably keep that comment in your pocket. Paul in St. Louis. We wrap up the St. Louis Trinity here. Mark the Mark, Steve, and Paul. Paul in St. Louis writes, Was the dinner debonair on Dynamite the best thing on wrestling TV this year or the worst? Well, if I got to pick best or worst, I'm going worse. I did not see the point of it. I have not seen the point of a lot of the MJF and Jericho vignettes lately. It seems like it, they have done a whole lot of talking, back, both backstage and in the ring with one another. And it looks like we're actually going to get some kind of continuation of the story because the two are going to square off at full gear this weekend. With the caveat being that if MJF wants to join the inner circle, that he has to beat Chris Jericho. Which is going to be interesting because there's some different tangents you can go from that match does mjf win and jericho gets kicked out of the inner circle because the rest of the members of the inner circle see mjf as better than jericho does mjf win and he still doesn't get let into the inner circle and that sets him off on more of a tirade does jericho win and then you could have a some kind of compelling story to see what does mjf do next what is he willing to do to get into the inner circle if he can't beat Jericho? He said he'll do whatever it takes. But that dinner debonair thing, I was so shocked that so many people online liked it. I was so shocked that so there was a large section. I'm not saying majority. It might have been less than half. But there was a way higher than expected percentage of people that thought that that was just so entertaining and so good. Guys, no, it wasn't. It was subpar singing. I thought MJF is actually the better singer than, than Jericho, but that's, not, that's neither here nor there. It was subpar singing. It was subpar dancing. It was hokey as shit. The things that John Moxley says that he left WWE for because he wanted to get away from the hokey shit. This was among the hokiest things that I've seen on TV this year. And not just from AEW. I'm talking about people using the force to get turkey legs and guys carrying around a lunchbox to bring shame on the Money in the Bank briefcase and make the WWE title seem less credible. Thank you, Otis, for that. But it didn't further the story. It was a waste of time. It was a big part of the program. It went on forever. That segment went on forever when they're ordering steaks and then they're singing and then they're dancing and then they come back to the table. Oh my goodness. You couldn't have come up with, with anything else to further that story. Was this just a, a passion project for MJF or Jericho? Was this something that Tony Khan just did to appease them because they really wanted to do it? Because if you're the money guy, Tony Khan, and you're the guy that's programming this show, and you're the guy that's booking this show, you got to realize that this sucked. 
you got to realize that this was terrible and a waste of time. So, worst thing on wrestling TV this year? I don't know if it was the worst thing. Because I did see a guy use the force to to get a, a, a turkey leg to fight off ninjas earlier this year. I, I did see that. I, I had COVID at the time when that was happening. So, that could have been a fever dream. Because I believe that was back in March or April. And that time of my 2020 is a little foggy, but I am pretty sure I saw that. So, and I'm pretty sure I saw a man walking around with a, a briefcase full of cold cuts earlier that he was going to use to cash in for a WWE title shot earlier this year. So, at least that, at least we're not getting a song and dance number every week. It seemed like we were getting turkey legs every week. It seemed like we were getting lunch boxes and cold cuts every week. At least the dinner debonair thing was just 10 minutes of my life that I'll never get back. A couple more here. We're going to go with Michael T. in Lansing, Michigan. Michael writes, was Hell in a Cell a hit or a miss this year? Is three Hell in a Cell matches overkill? Uh, I'm going to address the second question first. Yes, three in Hell in a Cell matches, too much. It is too much. There should have there should have only been one, and that should have been Sasha and Bailey. And of the three, that was the best match. That was the best match of the night. That was the best match of the weekend, if you include the Impact pay-per-view. Sasha and Bailey, two of the best women's performers on the planet. I would even say two of the best wrestlers on the planet. For some reason, I some people. I see on Twitter, I see a lot of neg- negativity towards Sasha and a lot of negativity toward Bailey. And it's not for their characters, it's for their in-ring work. And I'm thinking, what are you what are you watching? What are you looking at? What about these two ladies in the ring? And I know some of the stuff got a little convoluted with trying to set up the kendo sticks between the stairs and the cage and the ring and the, and the cage. And I know sometimes they tried to get a little too creative, but those two girls are entertaining as hell hell and they can both go and they can both tell a story and every hell in a cell match that sasha banks has been in has been fantastic the one against charlotte was fantastic the one against becky was fantastic and the one against bailey was fantastic and the common denominator in all those matches was sasha banks you cannot argue with me logically and tell me that she is not one of the best women's performers on the planet right now and thus since we're in the golden age of of women's wrestling, you got to put her as as a top five to top ten women's performer of all time. I thought that the Hell in a Cell match for for the girls was a logical progression to a heated feud. That was a logical progression. We are building up. We tried to have the regular match on TV. It didn't work out. Because I think Bailey got counted out or Bailey got DQ'd or something like that. We have built this story between these two ladies for a long time. Going all the way back to WrestleMania in 2019. And then how their friendship kind of went, went through these, these growing pains, if you will. Eventually to the point where Bailey accepted her darker side... And that fit more with Sasha's best character, which is that badass, I'm better than you boss character. And then we told the story of 
Sasha kind of getting overshadowed by Bailey's title run and then Bailey kind of throwing her a bone by saying, oh, we'll be tag champs together because we're best friends. And Sasha kind of being okay with that, but then always kind of having her eye on that grander prize. And then we had Sasha being the champ on one brand and Bailey being the champ on the other and then being the tag champs, which was kind of a cool concept. Sasha helps Bailey keep her title, but Bailey doesn't help Sasha do the same thing. Hey, but we still got the tag titles. We still got to take those seriously. And then whenever they lost the tag team titles, Bailey eventually just can't take any more of Sasha, even though Sasha's been the, the loyal friend this whole time, has kind of put up with a lot of crap, and turns on Sh- Sasha, but then when Sasha wants to get have a real fight with her in the ring, Bailey keeps ducking her. I thought that, that locking him in the hell in the cell made sense progression-wise. Although I enjoyed the story that was told in the cage with Jey Uso and Roman Reigns, they've got very good chemistry together. Why is that inside Hell in a Cell? Roman Reigns beat the absolute hell out of Jey Uso in in their last matchup together. Jey Uso did nothing to deserve another title shot and did nothing to warrant putting that title shot inside Hell in a Cell. They could have had that I Quit match outside of Hell in a Cell. It didn't need to be inside the cell. The only reason they put it inside the cell is because the cell was already there. If this was just a, a different pay-per-view, they would not have made that a Hell in a Cell match. But they'd used the cell because it was there. And if the other world title matches are going to be in the cell, we don't want to make this SmackDown world title feel less than, so we got to put it in the cell as well. But it didn't really deserve to be in the cell. A, a, I quit or submission match does not need to be in the cell and it really didn't need to be in the cell because Jey Uso got the crap beat out of him last time he didn't do anything to make you think he had a chance of winning this match and he didn't do anything to progress the feud to where it just turned into this blood feud that needed to be settled inside Hell in a Cell that one was unnecessary I don't know what they're do, what they're doing with the taking the belt off Drew McIntyre either what has Randy Orton done to make this feel like this few needed to be blown off at Hell in a Cell Randy Orton lost to Drew McIntyre Randy Orton in a a regular match Randy Orton lost to Drew McIntyre in an ambulance match and got his head kicked off into an ambulance door that should have been the end of the feud right there all the legends that Randy Orton had wronged came back. They got their comeuppance. Everybody had the feel-good story. All the fans got to see the legends come back. All the good guy legends come back and take out their frustrations on Randy Orton and help the champ Drew McIntyre overcome the heel Randy Orton. That should have been the end of it right now. So when you lose two matches, naturally you get another title shot inside Hell in a Cell. It made no sense. It made no sense to have it inside Hell in a Cell. You want to have the blow-off match and refer to it as, like, the, the blow-off match. This is going to be, you know, and say, like, Randy, if you lose this one, you never get another title shot as long as I'm champion or something like that. I've beaten you twice. I'm willing to give you one more chance just for the, the sake of having the opportunity to have you leave me the hell alone. But having it inside Hell in a Cell made no sense at all. 
Randy Orton climbing up on top of Hell in a Cell made no sense at all. I wouldn't just wouldn't even have gone up there. I would have just stayed in the ring. We're all we're just, I'm just gonna we're just gonna wait each other out then. This is gonna be some boring TV. Kayfabe wise, why would you climb up there? Just to show you're not scared? Fuck that. I'm staying in the ring. You know, I'll pull out a little mat, maybe take a little nap. If you want, if you want to stay up there for a little while, but I am not going up there. Uh, when and then the other thing, kayfabe wise, why would Randy Orton just not let Drew McIntyre get up on the cage? Why wouldn't he just like stomp on his hands or use that weapon that he had hiding up there right right when he got to the the edge to kind of get up to uh, over to the top of the cage? Why wouldn't he do that? And it was a, you know, credit to Drew McIntyre for taking that fall from, you know, halfway down the cage into the table later on. But I didn't need to see that. And I don't know why they're pumping the brakes on Drew McIntyre now. This is the guy that you christened as your next guy up, pandemic or not. It sucked that he couldn't win that title from Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania in front of a crowd. Pandemic or not. You know, you deal with the cards that you're dealt. And it seemed like Drew McIntyre was the guy that they were, were getting behind. And instead, they put it on the guy who's had the title 13 times before that. Now he's got it for a 14th time. If you weren't going to have somebody immediately cash in the money in the bank, which I'm okay with that they didn't do that. And, and you wanted to do it so Drew wouldn't be the one being beat. I guess I could kind of see that. But I, I don't I don't get why this was in Hell in a Cell. I don't get what happened in this feud to show that Randy there wasn't any back and forth. Every time that every time they had a match, Randy lost. That's it. That should be the end of it. You had your you had multiple opportunities. You lost. On to the next one. Instead, they put it on Randy Orton. I guess probably I guess they're giving up on Drew now, just like they did with Seth last year. You have your your cha- you have your new champ beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania a couple months go by and you're not happy with the way the ratings are so we put it back on one of the old reliables. Last year they put it back on Brock Lesnar. After Seth Rollins won it from Brock at Mania and everybody nobody was happy with the the way TV was going after that. They blamed the ratings on that. We got to put it Oh goddamn, we got to put it back on Brock. It's not the champ the reason why your your TV sucks. It's not the champ that you pick the reason why people aren't tuning in. People aren't coming to the shows because of the pandemic. And people aren't watching it because your writing sucks. You say it. Vince says it at every quarter conference call. Uh, we know that the writing is... Uh, we need to have more... Be- we need to have better writing. We need to have better creative. You're the one that improves all that shit. That's on you. You got these guys writing to appease you. They're not writing to write something that's good. They're writing to write something that you th- they think you will like so they can keep working there. You're the problem. Not Drew McIntyre as champ. We got to go to old reliable Randy Orton. Not Seth Rollins as champ. We got to go to old reliable Brock Lesnar. Vince McMahon is, is the problem here. And yes, three Hell in a Cell matches overkill. I'm going to say the Hell in a Cell was a miss this year because of that. Because everything that was outside of the cell was pretty garbage. And 
67% of the stuff that, that was inside the cell was good, but didn't need to be there. And it made the women's match, which was awesome, less special because you had two other Hell in a Cell matches. And fuck that red cage, too. I just got to put that in there. Fuck that red cage. Last email from Tim in Phoenix writes, Why are people sleeping on the Ring of Honor Pure Title Tournament? Well, Tim, I think the reason why I was sleeping on it for a while and didn't get into it until about week three when people kept telling me that, dude, you got to watch this. Dude, you got to watch this. The reason people are sleeping on it is because of everything that Ring of Honor has given you for the last couple of years. I was there. I was at Madison Square Garden in in 2019 when Matt fucking Taven climbed that ladder and grabbed that belt and there was a collective, oh, from 20,000 people. I was there when you had an opportunity to put it on Marty Skrull, but you didn't think you could you could sign him. And so you put the belt on Matt Taven, somebody that isn't exciting and doesn't move the needle. And then you, you carried that for the longest time on Matt Taven. And then you put it on Roosh. A guy who beat Dalton Castle in like eight seconds at that same card. And then you got Destro, who's a, the bad guy from G.I. Joe, I thought, hooking up fucking PCO, who's 50-something years old, to car batteries and winning titles and losing titles based on what car battery he's hooked up to and whether he's got enough juice to get through the match. That's fucking dumb. That's dumb, horseshit, hokey bullshit. It's dumb. And that's why people are sleeping on Ring of Honor, because they haven't given you anything of note in the last couple of years. But now they are. Now they're giving you something different with this ROH Pure Title Tournament. And I got to be honest, the, another reason I was sleeping on it is when I first heard about it, I thought it sounded like that, what was that called? The, the, the TNA Impact Grand Championship, the one that was supposed to be like MMA and they had rounds and they had judges and they would break between the rounds and that was the fucking dumbest thing of a of a laundry list of dumb fucking things that TNA Impact has done over the last let's say 5 years was that Impact Grand Championship what a that that's so dumb that was just awful just unwatchable just it's nonsensical Boring. God, how do we make wrestling more boring? We have rounds. We put judges in there. We take breaks in between. Dumb. And that's what I thought we were going to get because I heard I heard them talking about judges, and I heard them talking about that there was only going to be a certain number of rope breaks, and I honestly was turned off by a lot of that until I heard a lot of people telling me that you got to give it a shot. So I did because all the shows are available on the Fight app for free or they're available online because I don't know when the hell Ring of Honor comes on my, my TV each week. Sometimes it's at midnight on a Saturday night. Sometimes it's at 12.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday. You would think that a, a television company that owns a, a wrestling promotion would be able to get decent TV. But that's a whole nother issue with Ring of Honor. But Ring of Honor 
has got something here. And they have picked the perfect, this is the perfect time to try something different. And Eric Bischoff always said with WCW, as compared to WWE, you've got three choices. You can be greater than, you can be less than, or you can be different. Ring of Honor is not going to be greater than WWE or AEW because they do not have the the money behind them. They do not have the production behind them. They do not have the roster behind them. They do not have the the national exposure behind them. Despite being again, despite being owned by a a multi-billion dollar television company. So they can't be greater than. So then your other two choices are less than or different. And they have been less than for quite some time, ever since the elite left. When they got that big bump for a couple of years there where Cody was coming in and the Bucks were coming in and Hangman was there. And, and it was... It was great. It was it was really compelling. It's something that made you want to watch. It's something that made you want to get those pay-per-views. It's it's what sold out Madison Square Garden. Because those tickets went on sale when the Elite was still in partnership with Ring of Honor. After that sold out in one day, I believe, a couple months later we found out that Kenny Omega is not going to be there. We thought he was. Cody's not going to be there. We thought he was. The Bucks are not going to be there. We thought they were. Hangman's not going to be there. We thought he was. That was when Ring of Honor really, to me, kind of lost that momentum because they had put all their eggs in the in the Bullet Club slash Elite basket. And then when that basket was taken away from them, they were left with Matt Taven. So they were less than. But now they've decided to be different. And this is what I really, really like about it. And and why the pandemic is the perfect time to try this. It feels more like a like a UFC event. And I know that could be taken a bad way, especially the way that I referred to that Impact Grand Championship from earlier. But hear me out. The packages that they do before the matches are fantastic. They are like, they're not like wrestling promos like, ah, I'm in your face, I'm going to kick your ass because I'm the toughest guy around. No, they are, they are real person, down to earth video packages about their personal backgrounds, whether it be in combat sports, whether it be in amateur wrestling, whether it be their, their personal life stories kind of getting to where why this tournament is important to them and why this title is important to them and how they got to this point and why just being involved with Ring of Honor and them needing to win this tournament to solidify themselves in the pro wrestling world is important but it feels real and it and for lack of a better term you know it feels pure it feels authentic those packages make you want to care about these athletes and you don't want to care about them just going in and doing high spots. You develop a personal connection. Even the Dalton Castle ones, where it talks about his amateur wrestling background. He's not just the big flamboyant character, Dalton Castle. He has a legit amateur wrestling background. And you get, and a, a lot of people were already familiar with that. But if you weren't, now you there's something behind the character there. He's not out there just playing this character there's a real person behind that character and he talks about why that gives him 
a good chance of winning this tournament. The other thing that I like about it is after, after we get to the packages, we get to like the tail of the tape. And this is everything that AEW said it was going to be that it hasn't delivered on. AEW said that they were going to be stats-based. AEW said that wins and losses were going to matter. AEW said it was going to be more of a sporting presentation rather than a, a wrestling show or rather than sports entertainment. They have not, in my opinion, they haven't delivered on that. Dynamite's a, a very good show the majority of the time. I'd say 80 to 85% of the time it's an enjoyable show to watch compared with something like Raw, which is like 5 to 10% of the time. So credit to AEW for that, but you have not given what you said you were going to give. You say you were going to be stats-based. The only thing that you have done to make wins and losses matter is the rankings. And the rankings, honestly, don't really mean anything because you've given title matches to unranked teams, tag team title matches to unranked teams. You have changed the rankings just to reflect your booking rather than the other way around. You did not look at the rankings and say, okay, this team was number two. We could feasibly see them get, getting a title shot. You gave a team a title shot and then put them at number two. They did nothing between you giving them that title shot and that ranking to make that ranking go up. Or before, before that title shot to make that ranking go up. I think about when they gave Private Party the, the tag team title shot and Private Party was not ranked in the rankings. As soon as they get that title shot, they're ranked number two. What did they do to, to move up? The only thing they did is you gave them a title shot. That does not That is not a reason to move up in the rankings. But Ring of Honor is talking about things like record against that opponent. And they're not just saying that Kenny Omega's 14 and 2 in in 2020. They're saying that this wrestler is 6 and 8 against his opponent lifetime. And the last time they wrestled was in New Japan and it ended up with this person beating this person for this title. They are doing everything that a MMA promotion would do, but it's not being settled with MMA rules. The judges are probably not going to come into effect here, and that is a good thing. Judges should not be deciding matches like they did with that Impact Grand Championship. That's the only thing I really don't like about it, is the fact that judges are even there, but no concept is perfect, and I do like the, the rules that they've instituted in here, which I didn't think that I was originally going to like. For example, the only having three rope, rope breaks to stop pinfalls and submission holds that means you have to be strategic about using your rope breaks if you're getting pinned and you can just reach out and grab the rope or put your foot on the rope which we've been conditioned to to believe over the years of watching pro wrestling that that is easier to do than actually kicking out you might have if it's earlier in the match you might have to go through that extra effort of kicking out and not and to save your rope breaks for later on when you might really need them when you're in a submission hold because if you use all three of your rope breaks and you're in a submission hold that rope ain't going to do anything you either scoot your whole body out of that ring and take the your opponent with you or you're tapping out or you're passing out and so i love i love the strategy behind there i love how like i said how they're actually using stats and the the sports like uh, presentation of it 
I like there not being uh, closed fist punches to the face because that is something that, as as an older fan, I was conditioned when I was younger is that you weren't allowed to do that. And then when when a heel does take advantage of that, that makes them even more heelish. So there's just like a built-in bad guy out for the heel there, which I really appreciate. But as I was saying earlier, I think this is the perfect time to do it and to test this out because this type of fighting and this type of combat sport, if you will, if you will, baby, probably is best tested out in front of little to no crowd. Because this type, just like UFC, UFC is is exciting with the crowd, but there have been so many great UFC fights lately that have not been a, in front of a crowd that have either been at the UFC Apex in Vegas or have been on Fight Island that have been amazing because it's not a performance like wrestling is. Wrestling is, is a performance and you really it really suffers from not having fans there. But a legitimate sporting event like UFC, yeah, having fans there is the cherry on top, but you can still have an amazing fight and, and enjoy it just as well without fans there because it's real. And that's the thing about the Ring of Honor Pure Tournament is it's making it real. It's making it feel more real. And I, I love that they're, they're being different. You can't be greater than, so your choices are be either be less than or different. And they're giving you something different. And doing it with no fans there, this is the perfect time to try something like that. Because there's a lot of people that go to a Ring of Honor show expecting to see what Ring of Honor's done done in the past, which is very high-impact move heavy and spot heavy. And and less about character which is fine because it, it fills a niche in the in the pro wrestling universe but the first ring of honor show i ever saw in in, in any uh, kind of format was a live show i went to in 2009 in st louis rick flair was actually away from wwe at the time and was doing some personal appearances so he was appearing at the show Nigel McGuinness was the champ. There was a lot of people on that show. Cesaro was on that show as, as Claudio. Sami Zayn was on that show as El Generico. Kevin Steen was on that show. Roderick Strong was on that show. Kenny Omega was on that show. But the big thing that I remember going into it and going in, I went there with my brother and a friend of mine, is that the things we had heard about Ring of Honor was that it's just it's all finishers. The matches are, are all finishers. And that's not totally correct, but... That was kind of around the time when when wrestling was starting to pull in a different audience where they just wanted to see high spots and, and high impact moves. And moves that you're going you're gonna to see in this match, you're going to see 15 moves that should have ended the match but didn't. And that's what Ring of Honor was and that's what Ring of Honor kind of became. And I think... That put a lot of miles on the tires of a lot of these wrestlers. And that's why a lot of these wrestlers are, are breaking down years later. Daniel Bryan was on that show. I actually dove into the crowd right next to us. And later on in life, he was having concussion issues that almost killed him. 
he was ha- he was having strokes because of the of the damage that he had done to his brain. And the point of me saying this and kind of going off on the tangent like I often do, which I apologize, that's just my personality, I'm all over the place, is to say that the Ring of Honor crowd, when they go to an event, they have a certain expectation of what the presentation is going to be, and the, the Ring of Honor pure title tournament doesn't really fit into that same mold. It's, it's similar because it's a lot of the same wrestlers. You're going to see some of the same moves. But there is going to be more of a sports-based presentation to that. And if you go to a Ring of Honor show expecting one thing and getting another, you might be disappointed. But if nobody's allowed to go to your shows, this is the perfect time to try it. And it is to me, it has been massively effective. And unfortunately, I already had the winner of the tournament spoiled for me. Uh, it aired a few days ago from when I'm recording this. I believe it, it aired on the Halloween episode. Uh, it was taped back in August, but I think it, w- it aired on the Halloween episode. So if you have not seen it yet, I am not going to spoil... I'm not even going to spoil who was in the finals. Because I want you to go back to the beginning. Go to Fight TV. Go to uh, the Ring of... I believe it's on the Ring of Honor website, too, past episodes. But Fight TV, I know for sure, it, they're available. They're available for free. You can watch this tournament from the beginning. And I honestly think that you are going to enjoy it as much as I have. And people are sleeping on it. I think going back to the original question that Tim asked like 45 minutes ago, the original question is why are people sleeping on it? It's because we have been conditioned over the last couple of years to feel like Ring of Honor is unimportant. And this is making us think differently. If you can't be better than, you, can't be le- you don't want to be less than, you got to be different. And the Ring of Honor Pure Tournament is is different, and I'm really enjoying it. It is the second wrestling show that I will, that I look forward to watching each week. AEW Dynamite's number one. Ring of Honor's number two. I would even put Impact at number three. I would put the WWE shows behind it, including NXT, because I think NXT is kind of lost there, and something Tommaso Ciampa kind of alluded to in his promo at Halloween Havoc this past week, I think w, I think NXT has kind of lost a sense of who they are. And that's a story for another day. So thanks everybody for downloading, listening, and subscribing. Uh, thanks to ProWrestling.com for allowing us to bring this show to you in a uh, format that, that helps increase our the awareness of our show and increase the uh, appeal of our show being associated with a top-notch website like ProWrestling.com is an honor and a privilege, and I can't thank Mike Killam enough for having us there. Be sure to give our buddy Doug E. Wrestling and the boys over at STF Underground a listen every Friday on ProWrestling.com and your favorite podcast platform. I really love what, what Doug does over there with STF Underground. They are good friends of the show, and we always wish them the best so don't forget to uh, give them a follow as well on on social media and subscribe to their show as well on your favorite podcast platform you can follow me on twitter at dan rhino that's d-a-n-r-y-n-o the show is at rhino underscore wrestling that's rhino spelled like my last name r-y-n-o and you can find us on prowrestling.com but you can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and no matter what podcast platform you subscribe on please leave us a review if you're digging what we like if you don't like it just don't leave us a review We'd, we'd rather get nothing than 
than a one-star review, even though we probably deserve it sometimes. But if you dig what we're what we're doing, get, leave us a review. It really helps up the profile of the show and helps us uh, get to more listeners, which is just going to uh, help your boy in the long run. So I really appreciate everybody who downloads, listens, and subscribes. Send us more emails. I love doing these mailbag episodes and just hitting old school stuff, new school stuff, and just hearing your thoughts about everything that's going on in the world of pro wrestling. Rhino Wrestling Review at gmail.com. And of course, don't kick out of each other's finishers. See ya. Hey. It's the R to the Y, N to the O, on a block like a tortoise with a slow, on a block like a baker cause I'm picking up my dough, and when I'm in the booth like I'm cooking up a O.